Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. Today, James discusses a seemingly outdated term, honor, a term which still yet lives on. You can find out more about our ministry by visiting us at seaoffire.org. You can also view James's latest videos on YouTube at Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope this message serves to strengthen and build up the church. All right, let's pray. Father and our God, we thank you for your abundant faithfulness. We thank you for your testimony and we thank you for your word. I ask that you speak through the foolishness of preaching. I ask that you fill my tongue, you fill my mind with your word and you fill our ears and our hearts with that self-same testimony. Be with us this day. Be with us in this time of worship as we consider your truth, as we consider honor, my God. May you be honored with this message to glorify you. We ask this in the name of your Son. Amen. So today, we are going to consider honor. A seemingly outdated term. Uh, very few people use it, and even when it's used, it's used somewhat incorrectly. Now, honor can be a verb, and it can be a noun. Webster uh, defines it as... One would be a good name, so an honor being having a good name. You have honor by having a good name or a good reputation. A privilege, like you're an honorable guest or you're honored to be a guest. Uh, superior standing, like in a high office, like a judge, when you say your honor. Now let's let's see in the reflection of just that. This is a this is a this is a magistrate basically meant to judge the law. Okay, that's why they are honorable. Their position is honorable, therefore your honor. Not every judge is honorable, but the position is, and that's gonna play a part, okay? But, but so, that, that's another one. And the last uh, way to describe it is integrity. And now I wanna give you the definition of integrity because I think that more encapsulates the honor that we're going to be considering anyway uh, as it relates to the Word of God. So integrity is adherence to moral val values, so incorruptibility, so adherence to moral values. There are some things we can compromise. Morality and the Word of God is not. Okay, so basically adherence to moral values, absolute adherence to the Word of God and to truth, the truth, the truth, Christ. <laughs> Unimpaired uh, conditions, so soundness. Unimpaired conditions, so whole. In other words, which the, the um, uh, last one also is. Quality and state of being. So again, this is, that's integrity. Complete, undivided. So completeness. So again, integrity. Integrity is that, that which leads us into being honorable and, and that thereby being honored or having honor. In order to have actual honor, you must have integrity. You must adhere to an objective moral framework, an objective moral framework, if you have a relative moral framework, there's no honor in that. There's, there's an adage, basically, the, a difference between a politician and a statesman. A, a politician basically looks forward to the next election. A, statement, a statesman looks forward to, for the next generation. See, what, see the difference? See, one imbues and, and, and manifests integrity and honor the other does not the other is there just to just to continue down this role that suppose that's seeking honor this one who's seeking honor then doesn't deserve it the statesman and uh, for his part in it anyway is honorable since he's actually you know exercising the office well and wisely so that's a brief definition of honor and what we're going to consider fairly briefly are a few ways in which the Bible talks about honor. There, there, there are a few that are mentioned specifically that we're supposed to honor the authorities, and uh, that's in Romans 13, 1, and it's in other places. But let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Now again, let's remember. So what he's saying, and, he's, and, and we'll see, uh, Peter mentions the same thing. This is during the reign of Nero, who is the one, remember, who ends up executing them. So they are saying, 
Nero is not honorable. He's not, he's not manifesting the honor that's meant for his office. However, his office is meant to be honored. God appoints these people. That means he appointed Pharaoh. Let's remember that. Tyrants, you know, don't, tyrants don't come in outside of the framework of God's sovereignty. God's not surprised. And God's not caught unawares. Oh no, this Pharaoh rose up. I guess I should do something about that. That's not how it goes down. He raises up and he brings low. Okay, that, that's, blessed be the name of the Lord. That, that, that's who he is. That's what he does. So, basically the authorities, no matter, you know, there are many authorities we can think of in our own time that don't deserve honor. They're, they're not honorable, but their office is. Okay, so as like the president of the United States, for some reason, is this huge, almost monarchical <laughs> position in our day. He's almost the king. He's not supposed to have all the power. No matter what political persuasion you are, he is not supposed to have as much power as he has right now. However, no matter who it is in that office, no matter if we'd like the person or if we find them honorable or dishonorable, if you should meet this person, respect him or her respect them. They are in an honorable office, so you treat them with honor. Okay? Again, the office. The office is honorable, thereby honor the office. The elderly. This is in Leviticus 19.32. You shall rise before the gray-headed and honor the presence of an old man, and fear your God. I am the Lord. So, to stand in the presence of the elderly. Again, this is a sign of respect. This is a sign of deference. It's a sign of great adoration as well. Basically, the, the, the silver man, the silver-haired man, the gray-haired man in the Bible is one that's, that's filled with wisdom. He has, he has ages. Now, you know, that depends on how close he is to, to God and how much he understands the Word of God. However, the elderly, again, the, the ones with the silver hair and the gray hairs, are supposed to be respected because they have lived a longer life, they have more experience, and we should seek them if they are filled with wisdom. It, I'm just kidding. It's a little shot at my mom, sorry. Uh, but, uh, um, uh, but they are meant... That was disrespectful. I apologize. Uh, but no, they, they are meant to be highly respected. So again, authorities and the elderly. The, the last and not least... Now, now, Peter does say to honor all people because ultimately the, the Christian is meant to be humble. He is meant to be, they are meant, we are meant to be deferential. We keep ourselves low. Remember, in order to love anybody, in order to be humble, you make yourself low. You make yourself humble. He raises up the humble. He rises up the humble. Okay, so you make yourself humble. You make yourself base compared to all people, and that way you honor all people. However, the more specific one is in the Ten Commandments. It's the Fifth Commandment to honor your father and your mother. Again, sadly, many, definitely not me, I, 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 and I'm not being partial just because my mother's here, but I have a wonderful father. I actually have a wonderful stepmother who's been like a mother, so I, and then my mother-in-law. I'm filled with wonderful parents. I've been blessed with an amazing set of, of parents and, and, and mothers and even fathers. Uh, however, there are some, there are some who go through terrible, terrible circumstances, and even then, you know, even the father who is a terrible father has still brought you into this world. The father, so the position of a father, the position of a mother is to be honored, is to be absolutely honored. We'll get into what Christ even says about this, but the, the, this is an important, again, this is in the Ten Commandments. Basically, right after God talks about himself, you know, I am the Lord your God, do not worship any other gods before me, keep the Sabbath, uh, be, you know, all the, and then, right after that, honor your father and mother, so that it, you, it will be well with you all the days that you are in the land. It's the only commandment, and Paul gets into this, which we'll consider, it's the only commandment that has a promise, that has a promise linked to it. If you honor your father and your mother, all of your days will go well. For the rest of your life. God promises that. So let's just keep that in the back of our memory bank, okay? We'll return to this 
somewhat briefly as it applies to how what Paul said about that and what Jesus said about the, that. This is just, the, that's one area of honoring that the Bible calls us to. Okay, so that's just the brief little introduction of the people we're supposed to honor again. The authorities, elderly, your mothers and fathers first and foremost, but then again, as Peter mentions, all people honor all men and women. You know, you make yourself low and, and you honor everybody. Um, so the parents said, again, this is in Exodus 20, verse 12, honor your father and your mother that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God has given you. Leviticus 19.3 says, every one of you shall revere his mother and his father and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. So this is a better indication of what it means to honor your father and your mother. Literally revere. The same word is fear. When we when the Bible talks about fearing God, remember we've talked, we've mentioned that, that one way in which that's that's illustrated is reverence. To fear God is reverence. I also see it as, you know, he is God Almighty, so there must be especially before we come to him, you know, and, and repent, there, there, there's a natural fear. And again, when, when God reveals himself to people, they are afraid. Whenever you're before a holy, perfect, righteous God, you must be scared. I, whoa, am I, whoa, am I, I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell with a people of unclean lips. That's what happens when you come before God. Everything is, you awaken to what we were blind to before. So there is a proper fear. However, there's reverence. So we are called to revere the Lord our God, just like we are called to revere our mothers and our fathers. This is no indifferent partiality. This isn't, this isn't some passing suggestion. God is not saying, hey, I really suggest to you that you honor and revere your mother and your fathers because it'll be well with you. This is a command. This is a command. He's not asking your permission. He is commanding us to honor our fathers and our mothers, which is a wonderful command. You know, then it's like, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not commit adultery, you know. Great commandments, you know. <laughs> so again, this is meant to bless us. His commandments are not, he's not a taskmaster, you know, throwing all these heavy burdens on us. He's, he's feeding us with who he is. And who he means us to be. So honor your father and your mother all the days of your life. Now, in order to be disciplined and to listen to your father and mother, obviously go in hand in hand with that. However, once the, once the man or the woman is old enough to leave the house, or even old enough to be a man or a woman themselves, the disciplining changes. However, they never cease to be your mother and your father. And they must never cease to be revered as your mother and your father. Any of us, any of us, no matter how they are, no matter who they are, again, the, let's say, let's say one of, you know, one of, our one of your fathers is doing a gross sin, maybe, maybe committing adultery. Let's just throw that out there. You definitely don't honor that. You don't honor that, and you rebuke your father as a father in that, in that respect. However, you still revere and honor your father. Does that make sense? Okay. And your mother. Deuteronomy 27, 16. Cursed is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt, which we see a lot in our own day. So many parents give over their, their authorities to their children that their children basically run the house cursed be that how I mean even the parents and the children curse is the one who treats his father or his mother with contempt and curse the mother and the father who allow it he who spares the rod hates his son let's never forget this we are not we are meant to love our children that does not mean we let them do anything they want that is not honoring. We are called to also honor our children. We are trying to make our children honorable. So the last thing you do is just acquiesce to every single one of their sinful desires. That is not honoring. That is, that is sinful. And that is cursed by God himself. Ephesians 6.1. Okay. Let's see what the next one is. It must be this one. Not as many taps this week. All right. So, 
Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commandment with promise, like we said, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Now, Christ and Paul usually kind of <laughs> paraphrase these verses, which is fine, obviously, especially with Christ. So, you know, there's, there's a lot to that that I don't want to get into. However, so he's saying, again, this is the one that's linked to a promise. And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So, lest we ever forget, this is a two-way enterprise. You are not just called to honor your father and your mother. Your father and your mother must raise you up in the ways of the Lord, in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, in the ways of the Lord, in and through his word, in and through his truth. So it's a two-way enterprise, and this must, this does succeed from generation to generation. The, the, the role of a father, the role of a mother is generational, must be generational. This is one that passes down, okay, from generation to generation. So all you men, and all you women, but men especially, you are called to be the heads of the house. And I know there's so much consternation about that as though we're, we're called to be some reigning tyrant tell, just dictating and commanding everybody to do anything. No, the head of the household bears the responsibility. The head of the household is called to lead his household in the ways of the Lord. Not to command and demand and expect all that. He is not called to expect honor. He is called to deserve it. Let me put it that way. Does that make sense? That, that puts it more clear. But let's just remember, this is a two-way relationship. The, the father, or I mean the son, daughter, is called to honor and revere his father and mother. However, that obviously is to be returned by the father and the mother, raising that child in the fear of the Lord. Okay, Mark uh, chapter 7, uh, verses 9 through 13. So this is what Christ says to the Pharisees. In this regard, and we'll get back to at least the Pharisees and the people then were considering tradition over the word of God. Okay, so seven, what was it? Uh-oh. All right. Uh, seven, nine through 13. Okay. He, so he said to them, Jesus said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from God, or, or received from me, is Corban, that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God to no, of no effect through your tradition which you have handed down. And many such things you do will return to the tradition. So basically he's saying, so the Corban, so when the parents would get to be too elderly, you know, basically they would give the inheritance over to, the, to their firstborn, to their kids. And the firstborn is meant to take care of their, their parents. Now, and that's supposed to be the deal now. You know, I know there are nursing homes, and, but to the extent that we can care for our parents because we honor them and we revere them, we don't shuffle them off to a home. Now look, I know there are times where this, that, that, that seems to be the only choice, but to the extent that we can care for our parents, we do. But at this time, basically the Pharisees have come up with this tradition in order to just honor God so much, you take your inheritance and you just give it over to the things of God. And then tell your mother and your father, oh man, I'd love to do something for you, but all that is Corbin. All that is a gift to God. So good luck, God bless, not honoring their father and their mother. That's what Christ says. Um, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down and many such things you do. Now look, the most obvious place of, 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 of emphasizing tradition over the Word of God is the Catholic Church. However, that is not, that is not solely the Catholic Church. Reformers do this all the time. Tradition, you know, we, we see, 
It reminds me of the filler on the roof. I don't know if you've ever seen that. It's a wonderful movie, but I can't do the voice. Anyway, but he's basically his daughters. He he's wanting to give his daughters over in marriage. That's what they're. That's what they did. But their you know their daughters are in love. You know, with the baker, the candlestick maker, and he's saying, you know, no, that's wrong. That's not, that's not how this is done. And they ask him, you know, father, why, you know. Why can't we marry the baker, or the candlestick maker? And he says, well, because of tradition. And, he, and they say, well, why is it tradition? And like, I don't know, it's tradition because it's tradition. Tradition has to have a meaning. It has to have a foundation. It has to have a substance. When we honor tradition outside of the word of God, it is no longer a tradition we ought to be practicing. This tradition never should have begun. And that's what Jesus is saying. Basically, you have the the one of the most command one of the most important commandments as it relates to people to other people is honor your father and your mother and you have gone away from this for your own purposes okay now you have made the tradition over God Himself and again we'll return to that somewhat briefly another another thing I want to talk about is those who are honored without being honorable that's what we were kind of getting at in the introduction. So Genesis 49.6, we've mentioned this. This is Jacob to Isaacar and... Uh, oh, with an S. Why can't I remember names today? Golly. Anyway, the, those were the ones who were part of the murder, you know, and they're part of the, this terrible ordeal. So he says, Let not my soul enter their council. Let not my honor be united to their assembly. For in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they hamstrung an, an ox. So basically Jacob is saying, let not my honor continue with them. They are not honorable, so do not honor them. Psalm 29.20 A man who is in honor yet does not understand is like the beasts that perish. Before this he goes into that God gives glory to man. You know, He truly gives glory and honor to man. He makes him a little lower than the angels. He also talks about the Son of Man. Anyway, uh, that, that you do bestow honor upon man because you give him dominion you know, uh, over all of creation. So there is an honor given over to, to man. But a man who is in honor yet does not understand. In other words, he is a fool. The fool says in his heart there is no God. So in other words, a man who is honored and is a fool and he does not understand, he's like the beast that perishes. He's the one who receives honor and is not honorable. Proverbs 26 one, and then we'll look at verse eight. As snow in summer and rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. So again, snow in summer, Solomon's brilliant. If you look at this in the Hebrew, the poetic structure is amazing. He does it alphabetically sometimes. It's really amazing. Anyway, uh, so as snow in summer and rain in harvest, you typically don't get either one of those. Uh, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Again, this is just like his father, David, had said in that previous psalm. And verse 8, like one who binds a stone in a sling is he who gives honor to a fool. So you would typically put a stone in a sling to sling it. What he's saying is one who binds a stone to a sling. So in other words, using it for its unintended purposes. And there's a lot in that, that symbolism. But is he who gives honor to a fool. So in other words, you're using that which is not meant to be used this way. You're using honor to give it to a fool just like you, you would bind a stone in a sling. Okay, another another thing I want us to consider is not being honored while honorable. Job's defense in Job, and we'll talk about Job here fairly briefly. Uh, chapter 30, verse 15. Terrors are turned upon me. They pursue my honor as the wind, and my prosperity has passed like a cloud. Okay, very briefly about Job. Job was a very honorable servant of God. He was a great man of God, and he was very wealthy. He had many sons and daughters, and, and he, had a, he had flocks. He was the richest man in the world, basically, at that time. And, you know, there's a scene where Satan comes to be with the sons of men, comes before God, and God asks him, Have you considered my servant Job? And Satan says, well, does he really serve you for no reason? You've blessed him with all these kids. You've blessed him with flocks. You've blessed him with land. You've blessed him with all this stuff. And God says, okay, go ahead. Go ahead, but don't kill him. Go ahead. God allows Satan. Okay, Satan is not sovereign. God allows Satan to do what Satan does. Let's be clear about this. Now, there's a lot there that we can discuss 
okay? But let's be clear about this. God, Satan has to ask permission. He asks permission, and God grants it, okay? So, all of his children die. All of his flocks die. He is destitute. He has is, he is lost everything. And his wife implores him, why don't you just curse God and die? And that's when Job said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He has blessed me with giving and he blesses me with taking. I don't know what this is, but I know God is sovereign and I know he loves me and I love him. I don't love him. My faith isn't based on how long my kids live. My faith is based on how long God lives, which is eternal. Okay, so blessed be the name of the Lord. And then, you know, seeing again back in heaven, and God says, have you certain, you know, considered, and then Satan basically says, well, yeah, but still, does he serve you for no reason? He's still healthy. He's still of a sound mind, sound body. How about we attack that? He says, okay, go ahead. Do not kill him. So he's struck with boils. Terrible boils, always itching, always scratching. So he's lost everything, and now he has to be cast out and alone. Okay? Three of his friends, three, three of his closest companions come, and they don't say anything for a time. This is the only time they were good friends, when they didn't say anything. Okay? And then eventually, they start accusing Job. They start saying, look, you must have sinned, and you have not repented. That is why you're suffering. Just like the tendency of men, this whole karma business, when that is obviously not true. Again, like so we've made, we made the point last week, many terrible tyrants live in luxury all the rest of their lives. Many poor and destitute righteous ones are left laid low for all their lives. There's no such thing as karma. There is such thing as the sovereignty of God, and that is what's causing his boils. But his friends, his friends continue to, continue to accuse him. Continue to accuse him. So this is part of his longer defense just before God responds to him. I would strongly encourage you to read the book of Job. It's, it's one of the wisdom literatures. There's a lot in there, but I mean, especially if you want to just read chapter 30, well, chapter 29 and 30, it's a long defense, and then God's response. I'd, hardly encourage, I'd highly encourage you to do that. Uh, it's, just, it's just wonderful, because then God actually reminds him that he is God, you know, and there is no other, and then he does bless him after this. But it's just part of his defense that, again, Job is honorable, but he is not receiving any honor from his friends. And that's what he's saying. Terrors are turned upon me. They pursue my honor as the wind. And my prosperity has passed like a cloud. 2 Samuel 6.22. So this is what I've been talking about to, from David to Michael. You know, or McCall, that's what I call her. Uh, this is one of his wives. And he's returning from battle. And they're all excited. He's dancing around. They're playing music. And McCall, Michal, I don't know how you want to pronounce it, gets all upset at David. You know, what are you doing? You're showing yourself to all the maidservants, you know. And David says... And I will be even more undignified than this and will be humbled in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. Briefly, I think this also symbolizes the New Testament Jews going into Christianity. In other words, this was one of David's wives. And he, she doesn't even re recognize that you, know, you are honoring God here. You are honoring God here. I'm all offended that you're, you know, you're, that all these maidservants are getting your, your humility, okay? Your, 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 uh, your undignity, basically. You're, you, you know, you're not, you're being undignified here, just like Christ was undignified at the cross. And that's many, that's what, that's the reason many people refused him. And one of the reasons many people still refuse him. But, I think it's just to symbolize that as well. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I will be held in honor. You're my wife. And they don't lie with each other for the rest of her life. Christ also said in Matthew 13, um, 54 through 58, must be this one. Okay. 
Sorry. I guess I'll just have to turn. Oh, this is Mark. I'm sorry. The other one said Matthew. All right. There it is. 14, 54 through 58. Okay. When he had come to his own country, Christ, he taught them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, Where did this man get this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Hoses, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, are they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? So they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country and in his own house. Now he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. If you want a longer account of this, it's in Luke chapter 4, verses 16 through 30. And basically, Christ goes into the synagogue and he reads that account from Isaiah and he says, Assuredly, I t truly, truly, I tell you, the fulfillment of this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, this is talking about the Messiah, and the Messiah is here right now. The one who's speaking is he. So, and then they get kind of upset about that. Now, what Christ is saying is that a prophet is not without honor except in his own country. In other words, when, we're, when you're very familiar with a person, you're less inclined to see them as anything else other than familiar. Okay, I mean, there were about 500 people in the city of Nazareth while he was being raised. So everybody knew everybody. You know, and he was raised up as a carpenter. Now, that doesn't mean he only worked with wood. It would be masonry, too. So, wood and stones. But basically, they're saying, um, is this not the carpenter's son, Joseph? Is not his mother Mary and his brother? We know all of his family. You know, we're very familiar with him. When, when, where then did this man get all these things? In other words, he never went to school. He didn't, he didn't go to, you know, the rabbinic college or the rabbinic university. He didn't go to any of that. God filled him, just like Christ fills his apostles. They didn't go to these institutions of learning either. And, you know, again, some of that tendency has gone over into the church, unless you go to seminary, unless you go to these places and get this doctrine, some paper on the wall, that apparently says you're called. Well, I'm sorry, there are many who go to seminary and who have not been called by God. So that little paper says nothing. God calls whom he calls, okay? And so, but when that happens, the tendency is, you know, a preacher, a minister, any, anybody is not without honor except for around those who are most familiar with him. And so he, did, he, wasn't, he didn't do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. You see in, in your reading in the Gospels, which is also the tendency of Paul, or these, these apostles who are given uh, signs and wonders, that they're not able to do it at a moment's notice. You know, it, it, it's somewhat contingent on the, the reception of the people, and it's contingent on the will of God, ultimately. But here, they have unbelief, and so he doesn't do many mighty works. Okay? They are not honoring God. They are not honoring his Son. Therefore, they will not be honored. I will honor those who honor me. And we'll go, get back to that, but that's 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. I will honor those who honor me. They are not honoring him, so they will not be honored. Mark, chapter 7, 1 through 8. Now that's definitely this one. Okay. Okay. Now this is, a, okay. Uh, at that time, Herod the Tetra, oh, I'm sorry, wait a minute. That's not right. Went to the wrong one again. Sorry. Alright. So then the Pharisees and, Yeah. Then the Pharisees and some of the scribes came together to him, having come from Jerusalem. Now when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defiled, that is, with unwashed hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat un unless they wash their hands in a special way. Okay, we all wash our hands. Holding the tradition of the elders. Basically they would fist their hands. It was always a ceremony. Everything was ceremonial. It's not in the Word of God, but they're making this the case, okay? So, um, so not only must you wash your hands, but you must wash your hands the way we say you must wash your hands. Uh, holding the tradition of their elders. When they come from the marketplace, they do, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other things which they have received and hold, like the washings of cups, pitchers, or copper vessels and, and couches. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? He answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, 
hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. That's what, the fair, that's what these people do who, who, who focus more and emphasize more traditions. They are the commandments of men. Traditions are the commandments of men. And unless, unless they are under the headship of the, the, the commandments of God, then they must be broken down. They, they must be ignored entirely. Our only truth, our only commandment is from God himself. So God, Christ is telling them, well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites who honor me with their lips, but their f hearts are far from me. They say a lot, just like Christ even talks about the Pharisees. They make their phylacteries long. They like to pray these great long prayers in the middle of the street, you know, in the, on every corner to be heard by men. And they want to emphasize the commandment of men and not the commandments of God. And in vain they worship me. They worship me in vain. It's all, it's all this, this, this ceremonial practice. It's just this ritual. It's just what you do and you think this honors me. In vain they worship me. Teaching is doctrines, the commandments of men. So in other words, teaching is absolute. Teaching is absolute. There are many things anybody in a pedagogy, Okay. In a teacher role, I <laughs> can't speak today, in a teaching role that, again, the responsibility is to teach you absolutely what they know absolutely and to tell you clearly what they do not know absolutely. So tell you basically, this may or may not be the case, but these men are teaching the traditions as doctrines. And there it, come on, the, I mean, let's be honest with each other here. The church has been guilty of that in many different ways, not just the Catholic Church. That's the most obvious, but it's not, it's not only there. Teaching the traditions as doctrines is sinful, and in vain they worship Him. This is a warning, okay? This is a warning. Christ, through His mercy, isn't condemning these men. He's pointing out, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Turn. Turn. Bring your heart to me, and then the honor of your lips will actually mean something. Then your worship to me won't be in vain. And that's what Christ is saying. Now, talking about God's honor, we're going to look at Psalm chapter 66, uh, or the 66th Psalm, verses 1 through 4. Sweet. Okay. Make a joyful shout to God, all the earth, Sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you. They shall sing praises to your name. So, make a joyful shout to God, all the earth. Again, God is to be honored by all of his creation. Okay, though sinful men, fallen men and women will not honor him, all the earth, every knee will bow. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is Lord to the honor of God the Father. Okay? And so, all the earth make a joyful shout. All the earth, all of creation, all, whom, all which God has created, make a joyful shout. All the earth, sing, sing out the honor of His name. Now, in what way? He goes on, say to God, how awesome are your works. This is to honor God. This is honoring God. How awesome are your works. Consider his works. Consider the stars and the heavens and the works of his hand and the firmament, his handiwork. Consider all the creation of God and see and tell him how awesome he is for his redemption, for his, for, for his plan of salvation, for sending his son. How awesome are your works. They... Uh, uh, through, your, through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. Through the greatness of your power, we cannot submit en his enemies to him. Again, God brings people to repentance. He might use the foolishness of preaching. That's what Paul talks about. He might use any of us. Thanks be to him. But it is God who saves. It is God who causes those to submit. It is God who causes those to repent. So David is saying, 
through the greatness of your power, your enemies shall submit themselves to you. All the earth shall worship you and sing praises to you, whether they know it or not, whether they like it or not. He is God, and there is no other. There is no other. Though we might worship other things, though we might, you know, direct our praise in the most base and, and, and awful things, nevertheless, God will be praised. He will be exalted because He is God. Not because he's some proud person up there just expecting, you know, waiting for everybody's adoration because he's vain and full of himself, but because this is the nature of things. God is holy, God is good, and out of his goodness he created. He created, you know, the heavens and the earth said, that's good. He created the light, that's good. He created the sun and the moon, that's good. He created all the trees and all the plants and everything, that's good. He created the animals, that's good. He created man and woman, that's good. Then man was alone, that's not good. Men and women are called and meant and made to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. What a wonderful gift. To be under the service of God, to be, to be worshiping God, to be praising God, is the most wonderful and eternal gift we could ever have never hoped for. This, is, this far surpasses any of our expectations, any of our possible natural desires, because He is God. Okay, they shall sing praises to your name. Psalm 104, verses 1 and 2. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty, who cover yourself with light as with a garment, who stretch out the heavens like a curtain. O Lord, my God, you are very great. Bless the Lord, first of all, O my soul. Not just my lips. Not just my lips, because I can honor him with my lips, yet my heart be far from me. Bless the Lord, O my soul. He's commanding. He's, he's telling his soul, soul, rise up, man. And, you know, <laughs> it needs all of me. I'm meant to worship God with all who all that I am. So, bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. Not only do you have honor and majesty, not only are you full of honor and majesty, not only do you give honor and majesty, you are clothed with honor and majesty. You wear light as with a garment. His majesty and his honor obviously is eternal and it's sovereign and it's, it, it's super, you know, it supersedes any honor and majesty. We can't give adequate honor to our mothers and fathers unless we honor God rightly first. Okay. Okay, Hebrew, okay, now we're going to go to John chapter 5, 18 through 22. That must be this one. Yes. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal with God. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these, that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. This is not honoring he who deserves and must and commands our greatest honor. Again, this commandment isn't from a tyrant. It is not from this cruel dictator commanding us to honor that which is unhonorable. Just like I've told you, 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 you obey the civil magistrates unless they command you to do that which God forbids or forbids you to do that which God commands. Same thing. You honor God because, you know, that's, that's who is absolutely honorable. So Christ is saying, if you do not honor me, you do not honor the Father. He's telling the Jews this. And I'm sorry, many people 
think that they can superficially love God and honor God and think that they have their own way of knowing God without honoring the Son truly, without knowing and seeking who the Son is, without knowing who He is, without seeking Him through His own word and through His own truth, you don't know Him. Thereby, you can't honor Him. You can't honor somebody you don't know. Christ is saying, those who do not honor me do not honor God. Our way to God, He is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes before the Father except through Him. If He will not be honored, the men and women will not be honored. I will honor those who honor me. Revelation is filled with many different, uh, many different uh, instances of honoring God, and I'm going to read a few of them. Again, this is this is the end. This is the end time is basically, um, and so we are going to look at chapter four, verses eight through eleven. And I don't know why I have that tab there, but there we go. Um, eight through eleven. Okay. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would. Have, oh, this is Hebrews. That's why. The four living creatures, e creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. I hate that translation. It is actually who was and is and who is coming. He is coming. He is not, he is not like just some far off. He is acting now. Everything he does is in accordance with his coming. So he is coming. So who was and is and is coming. Whenever the living... Until what? Okay. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created again. God created, and God has created, and He sustains all things. Thereby, you are worthy of power and honor. Now, again, when these angels cry out, Holy, holy, holy. Again, the tri-use of that word holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And now, when the living creatures give glory, the 24 elders, and we can talk about that some other time, the 24 elders fall down on their face in worship, handing their crowns over. Remember, when we talked about that crown of righteousness, again, that is a gift given over to us that we are meant to hand over and give over and lie down at the feet of Jesus. That's what these elders do. At the, at the worship of God, the worship of God, they put themselves where they belong and give all everything over to God, bow their faces to the ground, and give all, God, all of his honor which is due. And they say, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. That is to Christ. 5, 8 through 14. Now when he had taken the scroll... Okay. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of, of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and you have redeemed us to God by your blood. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen, and the twenty-four elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever and ever. So, this scroll, which is sealed, only Christ can open it. 
there's a, there's a scene when John's up there, you know, and, and they're basically saying, who is worthy to open the seal? And, the, and everybody's wailing, everybody's kind of crying because nobody's worthy. And then all of a sudden, the lamb, a bleeding lamb, he sees a bleeding lamb, a bleeding, not bleating, a bleeding lamb, and he is worthy. And then that's when this starts. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you are slain. You have redeemed us to God by your blood. You are the only one worthy. Christ is the only one worthy to open up that final judgment and that, that, that ultimate culmination into his presence. Out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and have made us kings and priests to our God, and we shall reign on the earth. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. That is not exhaustive. Our praise to our Savior, our praise to God on that great day will be unending. We won't, we won't have enough to say. <laughs> we just, we'll be full and constantly full. Language, language is somewhat limited. You know, that's why when Hannah was praying, you know, before the tabernacle and Eli thinks she's drunk because she's pouring herself out to the Lord and, you know, she can't control her body because her soul has taken over. Sometimes we can almost transcend to heaven when we're in prayer. That's what was going on with Hannah. She was pouring out her spirit. She was pouring out her soul and all of her heart. That is what we shall be in eternity. Beautiful. We are limited by nature on this side of the Jordan. That side, we will be made perfect and complete and adoring and glorifying in glory our God and our Savior without end. We will have fellowship with, the, with each other, but He will be the light. There will be no sun and no moon. It will be Him. 14. Okay, we'll do one more. 14, oh, I'm sorry, chapter 7, verse 9, let me go back. Actually, let's do the last one. It's 21, 22, 26. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light, and the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they, literally says that in parentheses, and they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter into anything that defiles, enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. So again, there's no temple in heaven. God, Lord God Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Just like, remember, when Christ says, tear down this temple, and I will build it up again in three days. He's talking about himself. He's talking about his own body. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are our temple. They are, they are our meeting place with God. They are our worship center. Okay, God is our temple. And the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth shall bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates don't need to be shut. Remember, gates are meant to be for protection. Nothing's coming into heaven that's defiled or will bring an abomination or a lie. The only ones that are allowed to enter in are those who are written in the book of life, which we've made a point of. So, which is, a God, is an honor God gives to us, which is our final heading. God honoring us. So again, 1 Samuel chapter 2, chapter two verse 30, that latter part those who honor me, I will honor. Now, it also says, those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. Literally, lightly esteemed basically means insignificant. Okay? 
Now he doesn't say, those who despise me, I will despise. Because God is amazing. God is full of mercy and grace. He says, I will honor those who will, who will honor me. And those who despise me, I will lightly esteem. But those who honor him, he will honor. Okay. And I did have other... Let me just read two, song, two portions of Psalms. Psalm chapter 8, verse 3 through 5. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Again, let us never forget that. This is in creation. This is in creation. He has made us in his image. God is the most honorable one, and he has given that image to his people, to men and women in creation. Psalm 91, verses 14 through 16. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. So this is God. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. Those who honor me, I will honor. That's me. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is honoring us. This is beautiful. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him, because he doesn't just honor me with his lips. He or she, they, don't honor me just with their lips. So when they call upon me, I will answer. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. Again, he brings down the lowly. When we repent and finally come to God and we are brought down low, He raises us up. He shall call upon... Okay. I will be with Him in trouble. I will deliver Him and honor Him. God honoring us must be a very humbling thought to any of us. The great God of heaven and earth honors His people. That's why He created us. Again, not to rule over us as a tyrant but to love us, to glorify us in Him. And to, again, to, to have that filial relationship. Filial means basically a reverence from a son or a daughter to their parents. So we want this relationship of a father-son, father-daughter. And that's what, that's what he's saying. Finally, Psalm 149. We're going to read the whole psalm. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song, and its praise in the assembly of saints. Let Israel rejoice in their Maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their King. Let them praise His name with a dance. Let them sing praises to Him with a timbrel and harp, for the Lord takes pleasure in His people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth, and a two-edged sword in their hands, to execute vengeance on the nations and punishments on the peoples, to bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron, to execute on them the written judgment. This honor have all his saints. Praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. A new song. The, the psalms, the, the songs, the hymns of the people of God are, are wonderful, are wonderful. But, but the people of God are meant to always have a new song for God. Each generation ought to have a new song, a new praise, a new, a, a restored, a, a different, just by nature, adoration and reverence for God, and thereby their own songs, so to speak. Sing to the Lord a new song, especially on this side of salvation. You know, the, song, the psalms are full of, of anticipation, of waiting for the coming of God. Now that Christ has come, Praise God with a new song. And his praise in the assembly of the saints. Again, sing to him a new song and praise in the assembly of the saints. Church, church. Let Israel rejoice in their maker. Let the children of Zion be joyful in their king. Again, that's, that's interchangeable. Israel, again, Christ himself is the true Israel. Being in him, this is talking about us. Sons of Zion, again, Zion is that eternal city. It's a reference to that eternal city. 
And so, let the children of Zion be joyful in their king, which is Christ. Let them praise his name with a dance. Let them sing praises to him with a timbrel and harp. Again, just like David was praising his name with a dance. In other words, all of our being, all of our being must, must praise him. It's not just with our lips. It's not just with our hearts. Our souls and our minds, our, our physical nature, if we can move our legs, if we're able to dance, dance to the Lord. Dance to the Lord. There's nothing else worth dancing. We listen to these, the, the most ridiculous music. Music is a gift. Music is a gift. These tones, these, these rhythms, this, and the lyrics are given over as a gift to be sung for the glorification of the people, but ultimately to the glory of God. That is why we have it. We pervert it, and we also pervert dancing. That could not be more clear. Now, I'm not some, you know, I'm not saying, you know, don't ever, you know, don't dance with other, you know, but this way of dancing that's not fitting of a person of God is not to be exercised by a person of God. This music that disdains him must not be in the ears of his people. David says, I will put no evil thing before my eye, much as I can control it anyway. Sometimes things are going to creep in without your control. To the extent that you can control it, put no evil thing before your eyes. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. What a wonderful, what a wonderful verse. For the Lord takes pleasure in his people. Again, this is God's desire. This is God's plan. God takes pleasure in his people. Of course, we, are, we should be taking pleasure in him. But what a wonderful, condescending God who comes down and takes pleasure in his people. He's created all things. Now, he's, now he takes pleasure even in his people. He will beautify the humble with salvation. Again, he raises the lowly, but he makes them beautiful. That which was ugly in sin, that which was dark and decayed, he is beautified by his own salvation. And then, let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. In other words, when they rise, when they go down to sleep, everywhere they go, everywhere they are, no matter what you're doing, praise be to God, even when they're down on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth at all times, and a two-edged sword in their hand. Okay, to execute vengeance on the nations. Now, God makes it clear, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So basically what this is indicating, the two-edged sword, again, that's what Christ has, this double-edged sword of the gospel. It pierces for and it pierces against. It's good news for his people. It is bad news for everybody else. Okay, so it's a double-edged sword to execute vengeance by the tongue, by the giving of the gospel, in fact. Again, those who will not submit to Christ, God will give over to not submit to Christ. That, I don't see anything unjust in that. I don't see how that could possibly be construed, misconstrued as unjust. But it always is. It always is. If, if, if one will not have him, he will let them not have him. He does not force himself on anybody. He tracks people down by his own sovereign grace. But still, even then, many people harden their hearts and will not receive him. To bind their kings with chains and their nobles with fetters of iron. Again, he brings down the haughty. He brings down the haughty. To execute on them the written judgment, this honor have all his saints. Not just the prophet, not just the king, not just the priest, not just these, these judges, these deliverers, not the minister, not the preacher, not these people, you know, meant for the ministry of benevolence. All his saints. This honor have all his saints. This honor of rejoicing and praising God. This honor of preaching and sharing his gospel, which pierces for and against. But this honor of all his saints. Praise the Lord. Briefly. So... To consider what honor is, we must first consider what honor is, and the integrity, what true integrity is, what morality is, what adherence to morality truly look, what that actually looks like, and who is actually manifesting that. 
okay? But again, we give honor to those God commands us to give honor because he, he, he has put these people into this, this place, either of authorities or elderly, obviously, unless them grow old, or your mothers and your fathers, or all people, as Peter, Peter says. So, but that is only to be found in the honor which is God's, which he gives over to us. Let's remember that, you know, when, again, in, in glory, we will praise his name without end. Let's not forget what Paul says. On that day, he will praise his servants. That's amazing. As much as we're commanded to love God with all of our hearts, with all of our souls, with all of our minds, do you think that's not returned by God himself? He will honor those who will honor him. Those who give their hearts, their minds, and their souls over to him, he gives all of himself over to them, over to us. What a wonderful, glorious, gracious, merciful, and loving God we serve, who, though invisible, is altogether all-powerful, full of honor and glory and blessing, world without end. Praise God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth, which might be manifested even through a fool. Your word is true. Your honor is higher than that which we can comprehend. Even so, Lord, to the extent that we are able, we honor you with our lips, our hearts, all that we are. And we seek your honor, my God, that there is no vanity in seeking your honor. You are to be glorified now and forever. We are to enjoy you in glory. We thank you. We thank you, my God, for your redemption, for your salvation. The honor is yours, world without end. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the word of God is life.